the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Wooker Man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, John. Cool, man. What's going on? We're ready to go or what? Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to this episode live here on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner here on the two-man power trip, the one and only JP, John Paz, and John to come momentarily as we bring to you today a very special interview that John conducted with one of the most polarizing guests that I think we've ever had on the two-man power trip of wrestling airwaves as we welcome in former WWF intercontinental champion a lightning rod in his own way the one and only Ahmed Johnson that's right take that in folks Ahmed Johnson joining the two-man power trip the Pearl River powerhouse Ahmed Johnson, a man who took the wrestling world by storm in 1995, 1996, and into 1997, a guy who was grossly underused, and I'm sure we're going to get into that today with Ahmed, 
with this interview, it really uh, holds nothing back because Ahmed says what he feels and says what's on his mind. And there are a lot of things that are on the table here in this interview that we're bringing forward today on the TMPT Empire. Uh, when you think of Ahmed Johnson, you think back to 1995, 1996 when he did debut. Uh, just absolutely put a rocket onto his back and shot to the stars. Uh, Ahmed Johnson thrust right away into a main event spot, uh, debuting at the Survivor Series, which if you recall back then in 1995 was a big deal because the Survivor Series being one of the big four uh, carried a lot of weight and Ahmed Johnson debuting and surviving in the uh, wild card match that actually had our tag team partner from the Triple Threat Podcast, the franchise, Shane Douglas, had Dean Douglas on the opposing side of Ahmed Johnson uh, in what at the time was a uh, definite, um, I guess you really the best word for it is wild card match, mixing up the baby faces and the heels and having Ahmed debut, be one of the sole survivors was a really big deal uh, at the time, uh, especially he was kind of paired up as a uh, Shawn Michaels buddy and uh, always kind of tease maybe down the road there could have been a, a world title match with Ahmed and Shawn Michaels, but that never was to be. Uh, but in the summer of 96, while Shawn Michaels was the world champion, Ahmed Johnson became the Intercontinental Champion. And that was a big deal at the time, you know, de uh, dethroning Goldust, who was a, a controversial figure uh, at that point and really, you know, dripping with gold. But Ahmed was the one to put the stop to that first mega heel run of Dustin Rhodes as Goldust um, in such a big way, again, at another one of the big pay-per-views at the King of the Ring. But then it was injuries uh, that did sidetrack Ahmed, and then there were some other things that started to kind of plague him as his WWF career went forward. And uh, a lot of what-ifs, a lot of what could have been with Ahmed. You know, there's a lot of people he calls out in this interview and says maybe there's certain reasons why he was held back. Uh, there were maybe certain people that were responsible for holding him back uh, because there's one thing that we can always say, and I know this is something that John and I always uh, joked about even before we started this podcast years ago, is that we never could tell if Ahmed was really clued in uh, that the business was at work because there were some times where it looked like it blurred the line of fiction and reality uh, because there's one promo specifically that is uh, really in one of my like you know my top favorite lists of all time and I know John feels the same way uh, where Ahmed confronts Stone Cold Steve Austin on an episode of Raw and I don't know if he just got the best of his emotion or what but he basically scared the shit out of Vince McMahon to the point where I think Vince thought that something was about to go down and tries to uh, in vain to hold him back and, and even instructs the guys to get him back because he kind of seemed like he thought that Ahmed might uh, maybe go into a little business for himself. But uh, just it's so great to have Ahmed on the airwaves here. And we hope you do enjoy this because, like I said, if you remember that run, that 95, 96, and then early 97 run, of Ahmed Johnson, it was uh, it was quite the interesting ride. If you were a fan of his, and uh, definitely you know seeing him in person for the first time, I remember at a house show in '96 was just like awe striking. I mean, he's just this giant man with these giant arms, this giant chest, those giant legs, a big red Pearl River color sticking out at you. 
he was definitely a unique superstar in every sense of the word. And we thank Ahmed for taking the time to jump on with us and uh, very happy to present this interview to you uh, today. So with all that being said, of course, you know, in the TAPT empire, a lot of stuff going on. The recently debuted JJ Dillon podcast, uh, two episodes in the book, just absolutely captivating stuff. As we just learned about JJ's exit from the WWF and going back to WCW as the Monday night war was really starting to heat up. Um, and JJ leaves no punches pulled and tells you everything that went on uh, and his decision to go back to WCW. All part of the TMPT Empire's uh, superstar lineup. Four days a week, four shows. Of course, starts off Monday with Francine and Eyes Up Here, as well as this show on Tuesdays. And then if you're subscribed to Vince Russo's brand, you get the Triple Threat Podcast with the franchise Shane Douglas uh, in video and audio form. And then Saturdays at 6.05, it is J.J. Dillon and the J.J. Dillon Podcast. And for more information and anything else going on in the TMPT world, convention appearances coming up, uh, head over to TMPTEmpire.com as we build that website as the home base, if you will, for all of the two-man power trip of wrestling happenings and more podcasts, more podcasts, more podcasts for you to consume. So with all that being said, let's wrap it up here nice. Let's hit you with some two-man power trip of a wrestling business and get it on over to the Pearl River powerhouse himself, Ahmed Get In Your Face Johnson. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr. Glenn Kane, Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former WWF Intercontinental Champion, the 1996 Kuwaiti Cup and Slammy Award winner, He's also a USWA World Heavyweight Champion. He was a WWF and WCW superstar. He is the Pearl River powerhouse himself, Ahmed Johnson. Please enjoy.
great. And right now, as we open the lines, we have the Pearl River Powerhouse, a former WWF Intercontinental Champion, as well as a 1996 Kuwait Cup and a Slammy Award winner. He is the legendary Ahmed Johnson. Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Good. How's everything going with you? Very good. And, and obviously, you know, with you, very legendary run, albeit a short run in the WWF from 95 to 98. As, as I said, Kuwait Cup winner, Slammy Award winner, Intercontinental Champion. I mean, you did so much in such a short amount of time. But, you know, what have you been up to lately? How, how, how have you been? I know you've been uh, somewhat injured, so to speak. But uh, how have you been lately? No, besides that, with injury, everything's going good, man. I really can't complain. Now, of course, you know, so many fans, they remember that run like that I was speaking of, the Intercontinental Championship, everything else. And I know a couple of wrestlers from that period of time that I'm very friendly with, always chat with, and they were in in the round WWF around when you were there, and they said that you were pretty much the most popular guy. Yeah, you had the Shawn Michaels of the world who may have been a champion, but they said the actual fan-wise, and I totally agree if you, if you listen to the fans, you were one of the most popular guys and might have been you know, the most over guy. What was your kind of take uh, on that time period? Because, you know, the crowd absolutely loved you. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree with that totally. I mean, I was, you know, definitely one of them up top. It's Sean and Steve and Brett. And um, it was, you know, it's a pleasure to throw my, my name in the hat up there, you know. Absolutely. Now, how did you actually get signed at that point to the WF? I know, obviously, you know, you spent some time in, in Global over there in Dallas, Texas. Um, mm-hmm. You were in NWA Dallas with the, the Crockett's and, and all that stuff. And, and obviously, you know, in and out of kind of the USWA and, and obviously with the relationship with the WWF, you know, you spend more, some more time there, but how did you actually get signed into the WWF and recruited in? Um, I got a call when I was at global. I received a call from Vince, uh, Michael Hayes that, that went up there and told him about me. And so that's how I got signed with the WWF. Michael Hayes told Vince and took Vince to tape and, and you know, Vince fell in love with Tate. And he gave me that call. Gave me that okay call. Now, is that pressure at all, you know, for you? Was you nervous at all that, you know, Vince McMahon, you know, the leader of the WWF, you know, uh, one of the most powerful men in the history of the wrestling business? Was that a pressure pack for you? Were you nervous? Oh, yeah. At first, kind of. That's nervous. I, 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 you know, Normally, most men would have been, but I was. I mean, at first when he called me, I didn't think it was him. I thought it was somebody playing a you know, joke on me or something. Hmm. And then it ended up being, really being him. Now, what does he say to you? You know, he saw, saw some tape of you. He liked what he saw. He likes to look. Like, what? What is that conversation like? Yeah, he's told you he um, got a tape of me. And basically, he was extremely impressed. And that's what he used was extremely, which he he felt good. And he was extremely impressed with what he saw. And this, that, and other thing he said, I like to 
fly you out and have you come to my office and let's talk. And I was like, yeah, okay, you know, whatever. But I didn't think it was him. I thought it was somebody else playing games. Hmm. And he even started laughing at one point. And uh, then the next morning, I was knocking at my door, and it was UPS with a first-class ticket. So I went down there and had limousine come pick me up and everything. It was fast treatment all the way. When you you know you go up to Stanford and you, you meet with Vince and everything else, does he kind of have everything laid out for you? Does he say, "Oh, you're going to be you know Ahmed Johnson"? Does he have your name, your gimmick, or does he kind of just want to talk to you first and, and see what you want to do? Yeah, he kind of just wants to talk to me first. And then I, uh, he flew me back up there the second time. Second time it was like a meeting at the round table. Everybody was there, Jim Ross, uh, Cowboy Bob, or his, um, his name, what his name is. Pat Patterson. But everybody was there. Pat Patterson and the whole crew was sitting there at the table. And that's when they started, like, building you from the ground up. Now, it's got to be, you know, not nerve-wracking, so to speak, but it's got to be, you know, a little bit of a, of a different change of scenery. Obviously, you go from Dallas, now you're in the bright lights of New York, and, you you know, you're at the round table, and they're kind of giving you a name and, and a gimmick and this and that. Do you have any input, or, or is it all kind of them saying, this is what we want you to be, this is what you're going to be? Yeah, basically is what I say goes. <laughs> <laughs> basically, is, uh, this is who you're going to be. This is how you, you know, we want you to do it, basically. But one thing they never told me, they never told me if I was going to be a fate or a heel. They just kind of left that up to the audience, which was cool, because if you think about it, I never really put a claim that I was a fate or a heel. And just left that to the audience. If they cheered, you know, I was going to be a fate. If they booed, I was going to be a heel. Yeah, and you obviously you know, got tremendous amount of uh, good applause, and you know they didn't oh, yeah. rarely ever boot you. I mean, kind of over from the start, it was like I guess you could almost say just the natural charisma that the crowd really took to, and they really enjoyed, you know, kind of anything that you did out there, whether it was something athletic or whether whether it was a power move. It seemed like the crowd took you pretty much right away. Right, and and that was that's the first time he'd ever done that. Which, you know, kind of puts somebody out there as a, a test kitchen mouse, you know, just go out there and let them be, you know, the crowd decide, you know, which way they're going to follow him. That's the first time he's done something like that. Usually they'll tell you whether you're going to be a heel right. or a baby face. Right up until that time, he told everybody whether they're going to be a heel or baby face. And with me, I'm going to put you out there and. Let's see what happens. It could have went either way. It could have just flopped, you know, to take a big, big chance. Because my yeah. wrestling style, I didn't know whether I should go out there and, you know, pound the guy on the ground and become a heel or talk, you know, mess to the audience or whether I should just act nice and cruise along and kiss all the babies and shake all the hands. Mm-hmm. But, he, I mean, he just basically put me out there and, hey, let's see what happens. 
definitely a different experiment than obviously than they're used to seeing. They pay kind of not pigeonhole, but they put certain guys in certain areas and this is what you're going to do. Did you feel like it was easier to kind of succeed? Cause the pressure was off, so to speak, you know, if you're face, your face, your heel, your heel, did you feel the pressure was off, you know, kind of make when you make your debut on raw and things like that? Yeah, I, I, I did because, you know, it was really funny. I didn't, you know, I didn't care either way. Well, I was going to be a face target, but I was going to do it to the best of my ability regardless. Whichever one, you know, fans decide I would be, but it was nice when they, you know, when they big pop and, you know, here I am out there and it bunk, broke a lot of stereotypes that I have heard in, in my head, you know, that people have said, and it, it was just, it was great. I mean, not, not everybody's going to accept you. I don't care who you are. Not everybody can be on your side and accept you. But the crowd that I had was really, for a test crowd, it was unbelievable. Now, I think, I know, a lot of people remember you slamming Yokozuna, and that's one of the you know, real things that kind of got you over. And I kind of just remember you, you know, I, we've seen you know, Lex Luger slam him, but I just remember you, it seemed like you just, like, was raw power. You know, they, they kind of joked around with Luger, a little bit of a hip toss, and he you know, barely got him over. You kind of just took Yokozuna, who's a monstrous, monstrous guy, and you slammed him with ease. Kind of a pretty impressive uh, athletic feat. Yeah, you know, Luger, was a, it was a hip toss, and, and Yoko jumped for him, and, and also people are not forgetting, too, that Yoko didn't weigh as much back then. He was 100 pounds heavier when I got mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm, yep. You know, when, when Yoko, I mean, when uh, Luger didn't, he was 100 pounds lighter, and I mean, it's a big difference, especially when you got to boost him up yourself. Because he told me that he wasn't going to be able to to help me get up there, get, he wasn't going to jump for me. When now, was he said there, that, I was like, oh, my God, you know, how am I going to do that? Was there any jumping. reason for that, though? What, how come he wouldn't jump? It was just my first match, and it was their way of breaking me in and seeing, you know, if I had what it took. There was a lot of jealousy was going on because, you know, to push that, that, I was getting from the crowd, you know, especially when it was the type of push where I didn't have to rely on on dance. I was WF to do it. It was a push that I got on my own with the audience. And it was a lot of jealousy. And Yoko was one of because here comes another big man in his territory, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Now, did, did you kind of get over with Yoko over the fact that you were able to basically slam him on your own and without any help and just kind of pick him up and, and basically toss him around? Oh, yeah, that, that earned me a lot of respect in the locker room. <laughs> but I thought it was on cue. Without anybody's help. Such an impressive feat. And, you know, you kind of mentioned getting respect from the locker room. What was that locker room like when when you got there? Was it a lot of decisiveness? Was the click kind of running wild? What was that locker room like? Click. No, no lying about it. Delaying it. It was it was clicked all the way through. 
Now, and with everybody the, had their fashions, and everybody had their group they hung out with, and it was just a quick locker room all the way. Is there a lot of politics? Oh, yeah, but with, with the boys, it was a lot of bull. A lot of bull. But there's and a lot of politics in there. And as far as, as you, when you first got there, did you have to deal with a lot of those politics and a lot of that clique and a lot of them maybe trying to hold you down? Well, yeah, of course there were people trying, trying to, you know, hold me down, hold me back. They don't, I mean, they don't want you to outshine them or they don't want you getting the bigger pop than they get. You know, so, yeah, they're going to try to hold you down. You can believe that. But, um... I never got involved with any of the clicks or anything. Like I was kind of a loner and stayed myself. Some guys took that as me being mean because I didn't, you know, fall in any group or anything. And it was just me and I kept it myself. And some of them took that as me just being, you know, unsociable. And that wasn't, that wasn't the situation at all. It just uh, they didn't want to follow me in any clicks and, I'm looking at it saying, hey, all my life I've been doing this, you know, I've been going through hell all my life growing up, and I found it basically on my own. Yeah, I didn't need to follow anybody's click to feel like I was somebody. And I could see that, you know, maybe they think it's your own sociable or something, but would you go out and, and drink and party and do stuff like that, or you kind of mm-hmm. stayed to yourself and, and kind of did your own thing? No, I didn't. I didn't go out and drink a party, you know, because I didn't. I don't drink. I never have. So I didn't, you know, go out and drink and party with my things. But later on, I kind of got to it with, you know, hanging out with Rocky. So I used to go out with him, me, him, Taker, and, uh, you know, with a comma, fruit. There was a small group of us that hung out together and moved out to clubs. But they like clubs because you get crazy fans there, you know, that say, you know, oh, I really can beat you. And they're playing, but they're not playing. They're drunk. But then they start, you know, touching you and stuff, and most boys didn't play that. Hmm. I got you on that. I mean, they get a little dicey with you guys. Uh, and. and... Mm-hmm. Fans thinking they can, you know, mess with the boys or do anything like that. I mean, especially that crew, you, Undertaker, Rikishi, Kama. I mean, mm-hmm. you guys, Iran Simmons, I mean, that whole group, you guys could, uh, you know, mess some people up. Oh, yeah. That was a group you didn't want to fall into on the wrong side, I promise you. Now, as, I promise you. You know, as you're starting to kind of, uh, you know, move through the ranks, obviously it's 95 in the WWF, but as you start to get towards the end of 95 and you hit the Survivor Series, you're a part of that big wild card main event, and they, they kind of, you know, they put you out there, and it's a, in a really good position. At this point, were you surprised at all? You're basically in the, the main event of a huge pay-per-view, you know, one of the big four, so to speak, at that point in time. Yeah, you know, I was surprised from the word go when the first night came after – after Vince put me out there during my first match with Yoko, I uh, was not doing a match, but after he put me out there with Yoko, and I slammed Yoko and Vince that got the word that, you know, I did it on my own without any help. From that point on, 
it's like whoever he put me out there with is gonna get a good crowd reaction. That's why one of the greatest things for me in WWF and that's one of the things that I miss is, you know, the crowd. Man, it's just crazy that a guy can come in like you and just kind of light, the, light them on fire, so to speak. I mean, it was quite a, a rookie year on a rookie campaign. You usually don't see guys in wrestling, especially in the WBF, go from just kind of a rookie. They slam Yokozuna in their debut, and then, you know, they're by the end of the year of their debut, they're basically in, in the main event of one of the most major pay-per-views of the year. Yeah pretty great feat and then obviously you know you go on you move on you feud with Jeff Jarrett what's kind of your thought at this point um, and what, what are your thoughts on Jeff Jarrett no 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 thoughts on him whatsoever I didn't I didn't give two cents for him I didn't care about him never uh any heat there is there just you guys just didn't get along because I remember he he cut like a kind of a shoot promo if you will he said he didn't want to wrestle you or something like that was that any sort of mm-hmm. real heat between you guys oh yeah we had some, some serious heat I mean he he had the kind of heat where he would say stuff you know I can't interview stuff but when it came down to it in the locker room there was uh, obviously no heat from him whatsoever and you guys just two different personalities didn't get along at all right it's just, it's just one thing where you know you meet some, you know you meet somebody and your inside conscious tell you that it's not a good person. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be one of them. It's one of those situations where you meet somebody and it's just like the conscience is like, you know, no, you don't, you don't want to deal with this person. Person not a good person. And everything I heard about him, you know, was just you know, up being true anyway, so I'm, I'm glad I didn't deal with him. I gotcha. You know, as we start to kind of move along to WrestleMania 12, and this is basically the first WrestleMania for you, you're in a pretty good spot. It's you, Jake Roberts, and Yoko against Bulldog, Owen, and Vader. Obviously, all six of you guys, pretty big stars in wrestling and, and a pretty big card, so to speak. I mean, there's only really uh, six matches on the show because the Iron Man match is a little longer. So anybody's in the card, it's really kind of precious time at this WrestleMania. Did you enjoy your first WrestleMania in that six man tag? Yeah, it was it was fun. I was nervous as I don't know what. You know, it being my first WrestleMania, I was really nervous and you know, eating things, but it was fun. It was fun. Now you say nervous. Is it, is it the big crowd? Is it, the, you know, obviously it being WrestleMania, but it, was there anything different uh, for you? You know, was there, was the pressure, uh, maybe Vince on you, the more eyeballs on you? I mean, what was, you know, what kind of made you ner- more nervous the most? Oh, yeah, it was definitely the crowd. Definitely the crowd. I mean, man, and, you know, you, you got to work that. You, you work the two week straight, I mean, from morning to night, you're doing appearances, you're doing interviews, you're doing, you know, all kind of little, little situations during WrestleMania. So, yeah, it's basically the, the, the crowd, I, you know, hadn't really been caught that huge before. 
you know, kind of makes you nervous. The second time, you don't get nervous. First time, yeah, it shakes your boots a little bit. Definitely, that is under, understandable for sure. And WrestleMania 12, you know, it's pretty big WrestleMania. Obviously, any WrestleMania really is pretty big. But something that was really big was when the WWF went to Kuwait and they had the Kuwait Cup, and that was really something they were trying to solidify because their international fan base yeah. seemed to be huge at, the, at that point. Not so much because WCW was running strong and eventually, you know, the NWO would really, really take shape, and really take form and really kind of take them to the United States audience way. But that international audience and going to Kuwait and the Kuwait Cup was huge. And then if you think about it, you know, you're the guy that they're going to put the, you know, the, they're going to give you the ball, so to speak, for that show. And you're going to kind of carry that show, obviously you end up winning the Kuwait right. Cup. What was that like? Because you were super over there, and you had some pretty impressive matches beating Owen Hart and Triple H as well. Yeah, that was that was just super fun and off the wall, you know. Because I, like you said, it was nervous in a way because here it is our first match overseas like that, with, you know, in Kuwait, and I had to carry the ball, you know. And you didn't want to things going to happen. You were going to carry the ball. You were going to fumble. And then their international sites would have been messed up. But we carried it, me, Owen, and Triple H. And we carried that all the way through. And you did a hell of a good job. But I couldn't have done it without them, too. I really couldn't. I couldn't have done it without Triple H and Owen. And obviously, you know, that is kind of a big uh, Muslim area, so to speak. And, and the name mm-hmm. Ahmed is, is kind of a Muslim thing. Was that anything said with, to you, you know, by Vince? Like, oh, we're really going to you know, kind of push this and we're really going to push you. And we really want this market to be, you know, you know no, kind of one of our big won't. international markets. Well, once again, one of the things where he didn't say a word about, you know, Muslims or anything. It was one of the things where it just... They didn't have a good match. <laughs> hmm. He didn't give me any, you know, advice on, you know, what to do or how to do it. Well, I should say, hey, because you know that man never said I was Muslim or anything. He kind of kept all that stuff out the way. And um, it was him testing, um, testing the water again. And again, it was a success. The same thing with Africa, you know, and India and all the other places. I mean, it was huge and stuff. We had huge crowds. We made a lot of money off them shows. Big time. I mean, you guys, the international market for you guys seemed to be super, super strong uh, for you mm-hmm. guys, especially around this point. And I feel like, you know, you're still kind of just, you know, you were in the main event, but you're really kind of gaining momentum and it's really kind of building for you and, and you're, you know, you're beating Goldust, who's a big star at this point and, and kind of kicking off the Attitude Era with that character. He was kind of, you know, different, so to speak, you know, doing a lot right. of uh, androgynous stuff and doing a lot of controversial stuff and he's kind of doing the gay angle. He gives you a kiss. I mean, all this stuff is really kind of, you know, kind of makes you cringe a little bit because you're like, wow, where are they going with this? You know, what are, what are they doing with this? Did you enjoy working with Goldust and doing that kind of angle? And, and then I do remember when he did kiss you, you literally, it seemed like, you know, I was a fan at this point, huge fan. It seemed like you were, you know, legit going to kill him. 
Nah, it was <laughs> it was all show, man. Oh yeah, it was all show. But yeah, I I enjoyed working with those guys. I really did. One thing he did was the first time that he gave me that um, when I was on Amazon, he gave me that kiss. Now he almost made me mad because he wasn't supposed to. We had rehearsed it where he had kissed his hand. You know, he put his hand over my mouth and he kissed his hand like he, you know, giving me mouth to mouth. And then when we got on live TV, he knew I couldn't do nothing because it was live. So he went live with it and, and did it for real. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sitting there stretcher and I'm like, I'm going to kill him when I get off this stretcher. <laughs> but by the time I got stretcher, he was gone. He had gotten his car and he was gone. <laughs> yeah, disappeared on me. But yeah, it was fun working with him. It, it really was. As as two people that you have a bunch of fun working with, that was Owen Hart and Goldust. I mean, it was fun, fun, fun. Two of the all-time greats. I feel like Goldust uh, is almost kind of underrated. Not only just the character. But mm-hmm. Dustin Rhodes, the wrestler, because if you really go back and look, he was a phenomenal wrestler. I agree. I, I agree totally. You end up beating him at the King of the Ring 96. You win the Intercontinental title, kind of still building this big push. And, and obviously at this point in time, maybe not today, but at that point in time, Intercontinental title meant a lot. If you're the Intercontinental champion during that period, it did mean a lot. It held a lot of weight. Does that mean a lot to you to win the Intercontinental Championship? It did. Yeah, it really did. I mean, all the little championships I won meant a lot to me. The Kuwait, the India, uh, you know, uh, when I uh, got slammed, Jerry Lawler, you know, and won his belts. All of them meant a lot, man. It really did. That's been, you know, for the African-American to do this type of thing. It really did mean a lot to me. And really, the first African-American singles champion in WWF history. I mean, that's right. uh, some pretty big uh, shoes to, to kind of kind of be um, put into, if you will, kind of thrust onto you, right? Right. Yeah, I agree totally on that. Kind of. You know, a huge honor for you. Did you feel maybe even more pressure in that now, and maybe some more political backlash, or was that really just a huge honor for you being the first black singles champion in the history of WWF? It was an honor, but then again, it was not really. You know, it wasn't really pressure to me because I, I was, I was you know, doing it all for the right reasons. It wasn't. I was doing it just the black people or anything, you know. I was doing it just for my fans, period. And for, you know, like I told them, I'm doing this for anybody that may have been, you know, shitted on or or, or mistreated or told they couldn't do something. I was was really looking forward to those people. Not for just, you know, the African-American people. No, I'm not doing this for human race. I mean, because, I mean, why would I do that when 90, say, 60% of the people there were Caucasian people cheering me on? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
I mean, they didn't, you know, care that I was African-American. Well, someone probably did, but still, 97% of them, they were there to cheer on Ahmed Johnson, regardless who was, and here he is, you know, playing his role of a black Muslim. And people still, you know, endeared me and, and got behind me 100%. And you really were one of the top baby faces, especially at this point. I mean, you were so over with the crowd. And then you start basically, you know, at one point in time, the injuries kind of hit you. You vacate the IC title, so you really never lose it. But you still keep rolling because the feud with Farouk, a.k.a. Ron Simmons, is mm-hmm. really kind of, you know, that is going to really, you know, kind of kick up. But why did you end up vacating the, the IC title at this point? It almost makes it look better because you didn't actually lose it. But what was the reason for vacating it? Because we had no idea how long that injury was going to last and how long I was going to be out. And I didn't think it was fair to hold on. In fact, it actually gave me a choice, you know, whether I wanted to hold on to the belt or not. Told him no. For two reasons: one, I don't think it was fair to hold on to the belt where nobody else can win it. And number two, I thought it would be a greater match for a comeback. You know, I I have something to be shooting for, something to come back for with the IC belt. And what was the injury? Uh, that's when I had that kidney injury. Right. Okay. Now that was legit. Something that from because I remember Farouk kind of was attacking your kidneys, or was that something real that they kind of turned into a storyline? No, he really he really bruised him pretty bad. He really bruised him up pretty bad. When they went and you know they were taking out to be like life or death, you know like. They had were saying that it was just something that you know, kids, you don't something you don't play around with. Oh, definitely, like definitely gonna, not. You know, better have me to sound like I was going to die tomorrow. You know, hmm. somebody hit me in my kidney. It was a good work on their part, but no, it wasn't. It wasn't that serious. Well, you know, once the doctor started telling me all things that could occur from having the kidney bruise, and I was like, damn. And I thought they were the boxers, you know, and they get the kidney shots. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I was like, shit. It's that serious. Scary, scary stuff. That's you always hear about a kidney shot. Definitely, you're right on that. And definitely some scary stuff. And obviously Farouk did it kind of in storyline, but it ended up being for real. He really did that. But that kind of leads to the comeback, like you said, and leads to a big feud against not only Farouk, a.k.a. Ron Simmons, but with the Nation of Domination. And that was a kind of like a long feud. And I always remember kind of, you know, either you coming out with the two-by-four, you attacking him, you know, you doing different things. It's feuding with the Nation and feuding with Farouk. But the crowd just ate it up. They were loving you. Then when you started chanting, you're going down. I mean, the crowd would just eat that yeah, up. Yeah, they loved you know, that. Was that something, you know, you just created spont- you know, um, spontaneously? Or is that, you know, Vince creation? Are you just saying you're going down? Because that just seemed like it caught on like wildfire, and I don't even know if that was really so, uh, scripted, so to speak. 
No, I don't. You know what? I honestly, if I'm being honest with you, I don't remember if it was scripted or not, or if it's just something I just said in one of my speeches. I really, truly don't remember. I'm kind of thinking that there's just something that I said you're going down, but, you know, I don't know. I really, I, I really don't remember. The crowd absolutely loved it. I knew that. What was it like? You know, obviously, you're, you know, you're embittered in this feud with Ron Simmons, Farouk, and the Nation of Domination. What was it like at that point? Because you are getting this great push, and you are, you know, really, really over with the crowd, but it almost seems like, you know, this feud can almost be elevated further. Like, you know you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you guys were kind of upper card, but I almost feel right. like you guys could have been kind of main event with that feud. Right. And, you know, we agree, but I, I think myself personally, I think it went on just a little too long. But then again, how can I say that when Every time we came out, it was a crowd on the feet, and it was just ready to see us go at it. You know, he was one of the guys that I, I love wrestling because he didn't whine and cry, you know, like some guys do. And Vader was another one that I loved going at it with because he didn't whine and cry. Vader, mean, it was, you know, give it to me because I'm going to give it to you. Hmm. And that was the kind of match we had, and I, I enjoyed it, and we were still friends afterwards. Now, one thing that definitely sticks out with you, and you, you know, you mentioned Ron Simmons and, and Vader, and you guys kind of being stiff and be able to kind of really work each other and really have some hard-hitting matches. I remember a legendary great match, and you mentioned before WrestleMania, the second one, not having as much pressure on you, not being nervous, that would be WrestleMania 13 in Chicago and having that awesome Chicago street fight with the <laughs> Legion of Doom. L-O-C. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, was, that was fun, too. That was a real fun match. Real fun. I think it was a pretty good team, too. I think I could have been the third member. Yeah. Awesome match and and Legion of Doom with you and obviously you guys beat the Nation of Domination that night. The crowd was super into it. Great, great match. You know, you have good memories of the LOD or was was there any kind of heat there? Because I remember there was that whole story years ago sure, about the yeah, shoulder yeah. pads, right? Yeah. Was yeah. Kind of... No, well, that, I don't know what believe in that or not, somebody called me and told me about that. And I was going to run into him the following day at an autograph signing, little that I know. And we were at autograph signing, and somebody came behind me and grabbed me in a bear hug. And they were like, hey, brother, I don't know what you know you heard, and I don't know you know what, what you said what. But I never said that about the show that I knew who it was behind me, hugging you know, turned around. He was like, brother, trust me. I, I said, I was like, how can anybody say that? Anybody who knows the Hulk, okay, knows this about Hulk. Okay, no punk. You ain't going to take nothing from Hulk. I mean, say, you know, you're going to take his shirt. I, I doubt that very seriously if there's a man alive 
that could take something from Hawk and not Hawk not pound the shit out of him. Hmm. So that's something that you know. That's that's not one of the reasons you know it was much bull because he's saying, saying, well, okay, if he did this, why didn't Hawk retaliate on him? Why didn't the animal and the Hawk retaliate on him? You know, what I mean? it, it was a bunch of bull, you know. And I don't even know why it was even said. If he said, I never heard him say it, but I was told he did say it. And why would he say something like that? I have no idea. Unless he's one guy that was jealous and still had jealous going on, which I wouldn't put a pass because, you know, me and Hawks go out and do matches with each other and uh, little bitty street street matches, you know, and little bitty house shows. And then we start tagging up together in house shows. And maybe, maybe Tom didn't like that too much. And you know what? A, a good friend of mine years ago, obviously when Hawk was alive, Hawk sometimes sold his shoulder pads. So a good friend of mine actually had a pair of shoulder pads. So that's why all these years I'm always thinking to myself, see, I don't know if Animal's actually thinking clearly on this one, or maybe he's just kind of jumping to conclusions, but it's possible, you know, that there is something else to play with the shoulder pad thing that he's just not kind of thinking of, or maybe he just didn't want to think of it. But, you know, I don't, I never really thought there was much controversy as far as those shoulder pads were concerned. Man, Hawk is good buddy, man, on the road, man. And it, he just gave them to me one day, you know. He gave me a mm-hmm. pad. Yep. And we were just, you know, real tight friends on the road, you know, without for each other and, and everything. Better, more than him and Alan did. I mean, outside of being in the ring, basically, or you know, from that, you didn't even see them two hanging out or being together. Now, as far as the feud with the nation domination, I know there's actually one point with the nation. You actually turn heel and you join the nation of domination. Eventually, obviously, you turn face and then kind of continue the feud. But did you think that was necessary? Did you like kind of turning heel at that point? No. Being you, no. you were so over as a face, it almost didn't make sense. No, that was an offense that I'm doing. No, I thought I thought that was terrible, man. I, I, I couldn't believe it did because he had, you know, Took a chance and rolled the dice by going out there without being told whether I was a baby or or a heel. And then I got the crowd behind me, you know, and you got millions of people loving you, you know, for being who you are. And then all of a sudden you switch up on them like that. I just didn't think that was right. No fair to the crowd. Army, be as that. But no, I didn't like it at all doesn't really make sense to me to turn a guy who's super over with the crowd heel kind of, you know, without any real reason for it. You know what I mean? It didn't kind of jive with me. It didn't really mm-hmm. make sense. And then only was what? How long did that last? A month? Mm-hmm. A month or two, yep. I don't know what they were thinking on that one. You know, it was you know, thinking. It probably was somebody in the office thinking, trying to think, and kind of mess everything up. And in your tenure, I was going to say, in your tenure there, you know, they kind of should have just kept your face and kept the, you know, the momentum going there. You know, it was kind of a a misstep uh, on their part. Right. 
Yeah, I agree totally. I might have missed the boat on that one. Did they give you any insight as to kind of, you know, why they wanted to do that? I mean, it, it, to me, it, I mean, I'm just kind of, you know, hitting the point over the head, but it really was like, why would they turn you heel? The only insight they gave me is when they switched me back. He called me to the office one day when they switched me back, and he was like, I'm never going to turn you back to babyface. And I was like, just confused. And I was like, well, why are we doing that? Why are we, you know, switching me back and forth like that? He said, well, he said, because I don't have anybody else in that locker room that people would believe that a whole nation like Farouk could attack and he could survive it. He said, you're the only one that the crowd's going to believe that, you know, could survive an attack from that kind of group. Yeah, I said, okay, that makes sense. I understand that. There's nobody really... I was like, you seemingly go up against them. Think about it. It makes sense, you know. Who else in there could, you would say, can single-handedly take on the nation's domination with Salute, Kamal, Mark Henry, Rock, Elo. That's a hell of a, a, a team. I mean, he's got a bunch of first-teamers. And, then, you know, some second-teamers going against, you know, one dude. So when he said that, I understood Still, you know, that's something that they should have jabbed into before they did it. You know, he's had a good plan set up for an accident. I mean, even the, the entry, I think, was I mean, not good. Yeah, I never quite uh, under, understood that because it was going so well the other way where, you know, it's believable that, you know, this big guy like yourself with all this charisma and all this, you know, toughness, can fight back against these guys and kind of, you know, obviously you get help from the LOD or maybe even uh, Ken Shamrock at one point, this and that, but it's like it's, it's your fight and it's your struggle against those guys and it was very believable. Exactly. And obviously, exactly. you know, you guys end up fighting at the Survivor Series and you guys beat the Nation Domination then, but, you know, along the way, there's a couple, I guess, WWF title matches kind of got scrapped due maybe due to injury or maybe due to politics or something, but how come there was never a one-on-one match, maybe you versus Shawn Michaels for the world title? Were they afraid that maybe he would get booed and you would get cheered? I, I think that had a little to do with it, that in, in his ego, he couldn't take that. He couldn't take that with his ego. You can, man, he would have been pissed off that, you know, the show where Shawn Michaels loses so many fans or even one cheer turned to a boo, he would have been pissed off. Do you think that during your run, maybe they should have given you the world title, given that you were probably the most over guy they had for a period of time? I, I think so. I, I think so. I, I honestly truly believe it should have. And you, know, you mentioned being the first, you know, black singles champion. It would have been the n- nice to kind of be the first black WWF world champion as well, right. especially with the crowd being behind you. Would that have been, you know, meant a lot to you? Would that have been like a huge honor for you? Oh yeah, that would have been a good. That would have been a great honor too. That would have been a great honor, you know, and. and it, didn't happen, but I think it had a lot more with politics than anything else. 
That is, uh, you know, no doubt about it for sure. And I just remember there was a, a promo in, in 98 when Steve Austin was kind of at, at his height. And I don't know if you'll remember this, but me and, and all my friends, we remember it so well because it's such a real promo and it's so great. And Austin is saying something in the ring, and Vince is between you guys, but there's security around you guys as well. I don't know if you're going to remember this. but Yeah, I got it in my head as you're speaking. And Vince says, you know, hey, you know, you're just going to be Ahmed versus Steve Austin later in the night. And obviously that match doesn't end up happening. And I'm going to ask you why in a second, but you start cutting the awesome promo. You said, you know, I've been on my own since I was 13 years old. I've been on my own my whole life. And for some reason, out of nowhere, Vince just kind of pulls the mic back and he goes, get him back, get him back. And it was weird. It was like, why did Vince kind of pull the mic back and say, like, get him back, get security. Do you remember? Obviously, you said you remember. What was what was up with that promo? It seemed so real, and it seemed so good, and Vince kind of was cutting it off a little bit. And I think that's one reason why it was real. <laughs> <laughs> it was real. I think he thought I was going to go very show with it. You know. Oh, okay. New York, you have, you know, the, the idea of seven redneck, you know, against the idea of selling, you know, black kids from the streets. And I think once he thought about it, because when they scrapped it, it was out the blue. It was out the blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. But I think he started thinking about, you know, how it could, that match itself would have been more of a disaster, no matter how good it may have been anything else because it would have run a, a racial element in there that they didn't want in there. Which I could, you know, understand. But they should have thought that through before they even, you know, had us locked up or anything happening to us. Yeah, because to, to a fan, it was weird. It was like, okay, this match is going to happen. It's going to happen. Great promo, great fire from you. Vince is kind of getting, you know, crazy with it, saying, you know, get the security. But then no match. They they don't have the match. And it was yeah, and it would have been uh from the fans party it would have been a hell of a match if they won it's a bet I want to see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would love to see it, but you know, it it's just it didn't happen that way. I think politics and you know, the racial factor came in and he started thinking about it and it was like, no, just no matter how good this match may be, it may be more of a disaster at the end. Trying to explain, you know, say Steve won, and everybody's going, well, you know, it's white boy man, why is that awesome man? Oh, I won. They were going, oh, and that was just, you know, Vince get that up. That was, it would look bad either way. Definitely should have happened after that promo. I mean, that promo did feel. Very, very real and extremely passionate from you. I mean, that's so mm-hmm. good. And I just remember Vince's reaction wasn't like a normal reaction. His was like, oh, uh oh, you know, I got to cut this short. Uh oh. <laughs> he got nervous. Yeah, he opened the door to send me an open. Then, you know, I'm, just the fact that it was a match that was supposed to happen that night. Wasn't it happening supposed to happen that night? Yes. Yeah, later in the night. Yep. But then, boom, it never happened. I mean, fans should have been questioning the shit out of that one. You should have been asking, you know, why didn't this happen? It was going to be a great match. And they didn't explain that in a way. 
crazy that 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 didn't happen. And you know, not too long after this, you you exit from the WWF in, in 1998, and you asked for your release. Is there you know a reason? Why you wanted to be okay. released? What maybe because you didn't get matches like that? And you didn't get the world title? Is that a right. thing to do with it? it? Yeah, because it was written racial divide was starting to set in. You know, they said that one match that you know that's a match that should happen. It didn't happen. So I started to thinking, you know, well, how many more matches am I not going to get because you know the color of my skin. You know, Shawn Michaels was definitely one of them. And that was on his behalf. But, you know, it, this is professional wrestling. I mean, I people are supposed to be confused and, and and not sure what's going on. I don't think that was a bad thing. You know, one was, they came out, and I, I, I think we both would have still kept our our. Loyalty with the fans, as far as you know, fans loyalty. I think it'd have been something good. Watch the fans divide a little bit. Absolutely, some some realism, you know, involved. Exactly. Especially them running up against WCW like they were doing, you know. I mean, I think all that had something to do with with it, as far as you know, what played in the facts. I think that WCW. Even played a role in it, you know. Mm-hmm, definitely. Now, you know, you mentioned Shawn Michaels had an issue with you, and we kind of said Steve Austin. What was the the heat or the issue with Steve? With Bob Austin. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody wrote. Uh, I, I somebody wrote to, when I won the the Intercontinental title. Somebody wrote congratulations, nigga, on my car. Well, the rental car I was in. And I didn't know who did it, nothing. And one of the fans were out there, and they said they seen Steve Austin by my car. Now, I can't prove that, so I'm not going to say he did it, because I, I didn't see it. But I'm just, you know, I'm just going on with fans. Listening. And whether, you know, he did it or not, anybody that would think like that, I don't want you around me. So I think, you know, it became... When I departed, it was you know more of politics than anything. I, I don't I don't like playing politics. Uh, it's not a game I play very well because I'm pretty straight up about everything. You know when I say what I do, and my wife can tell me I'm too straight up sometimes. You know, but one time she tells put my contacts in and. <laughs> I want my contact in so bad until she said I poked my eye out. Oh, wow. That's just me when I want something done, I'm going to get done regardless to what it takes. And then I have and start talking about man and, you know, I'm off doing from it and all that get money and everything. You know, that'd be something serious. You know, away from the paycheck that we were getting, that some of us were getting. Do you have any kind of regrets as far as, as WWF? Maybe if you were able to somehow, you know, mine that political minefield, if you will, if you were able to somehow, you know, maybe, uh, I wouldn't say handle it better, but 
somehow, some way be able to, you know, you know, modify the damage, so to speak, of some of that racial divide and some of that political nonsense that was going on there. Any regrets from the time of the BF that maybe you wish you could have stayed longer? Yeah, I do. I do. I wish, you know, how they say those saying, I wish I knew being what I know now. Yep. I would have been able to handle it. I've been able to fix the problem. Right. I would have sat down with Vince and gave him some good ideas and been able to fix the problem instead of, you know, looking at it from a political standpoint. Do you think Vince had, like, any idea what was going on, kind of with the politics and the racial divide and things like that? Or do you just think he's so busy? You know, he wears, like, a hundred different hats. He's creative, but he's the owner, but he's this and he's that. you think he just had too many hats going on, or do you think he knew what was going on? I think he had too many hats going on, honestly. And I think he, he relied too much on the, the click and signing them to run, you know, help straighten up the show and not looking at they were out for themselves. They were out for everybody else. They were out for themselves. Were they yeah. a, a huge problem? Like as far as, as WWF yeah. at that point kind yeah. of exploding? Yeah, in the locker room and everything else, they were a big problem, brother. Big problem. I almost didn't... I almost didn't kind of get why they had so much power. If you know, especially like a guy like Shawn Michaels, when he wasn't really drawing that well, uh, you know, as far as being a champion, and you know, he wasn't kind of checking all the boxes like that. Let's say a Hulk Hogan that did the, the time before, where he's making money hand over fist. It's weird, right? Why why is he getting so much political power when he really wasn't doing that well as champion? It's just that he is the one that was doing all the butt kissing back there. He was one of the buckets, and he was, you know, one of the most awful guys that we had at the time. You know, he was so funny. He wore his mask. He thought nobody could see through, but it was so obvious where his political standpoints on things were. And it was just funny to watch him try to hide everything. You know, you take a mask off because we see right through you. Now, as we hit the wind down, but we start to wind it down here, I just have to ask because obviously, you know, this was the attitude error. This was one of the most, you know, crucial times in wrestling, the Monday Night Wars. I mean, there were so many people watching wrestling. It was so big. But there's the, the writing aspect, the creative aspect that was also kind of on point and, and hitting realism and really doing mm-hmm. some controversial stuff. What were your thoughts on Vince Russo at that point? Because he was the writer that kind of turned things around for the uh, WWF. I, I always admired Vince Russo's writing, man. Always. I always thought he was a, a, a great, you know, asset to the company and why they got rid of him. Uh, I don't know the whole story behind it, but Vince Russo was great, man. He was a good writer. It's just that when he got WCW, the, the prisoners was running the, the, the asylum, you know. At that point, it was more the boys were running the show. And that's why, you know, WCW was flopping the way it was. You know, they would have just 
have some balls and let Vince Russo run it. And then did it for the different ball game at the end, telling that the boy was good. He was he was very good. He had a lot of old timers that was jealous of him and didn't like him because he didn't wrestle, you know, and he wasn't a performer. And so they didn't want to listen to him when it came down to his ideas and matches. Definitely way too much politics going on in WCW, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, WCW for the boys ran out. Trust me. <laughs> Did you, you know, really kind of dislike your time in WCW? Obviously, it's a brief run as a big T, so to speak, and kind of, uh, you know, the few with Booker and you with Stevie, your old buddy, and the Harlem Heat. Did you kind of not really enjoy that short run in WCW? No, I didn't enjoy it at all, brother. It really didn't because I was, you know, out of shape. I wasn't in shape. I wasn't ready for it. I did it because, you know, they they, they needed, you know, needed me right there. And it was Vince Russo and Stevie telling me, you know, so I was like, how can I turn down Vince? And, you know, he gave me a great push in WWF. And Stevie was my buddy, so I couldn't just turn our back to him. But no, I wasn't ready for it. it, it I, I hate it more because I wasn't ready for it more than anything else. And I hadn't, you know, been working out. I just, just wasn't ready for it mentally or physically. The only kind of bright spot was you get to work with your buddies that you kind of trained with uh, back in the, you know, the Houston, Texas area, Booker T and Steve Ray. I guess that was kind of the only kind of, you know, silver lining to that run. Right. Definitely, definitely got that right. You know, outside of that, it was all on me outside of that, you know. I just, just wasn't ready. And I told him I wasn't ready, you know, at that time. They could have gave me like six months, to, you know, training and get myself together, and it would have been a different ball game altogether. But they didn't have time to do that. Was there ever an opening where you could go back to the WBF? Like, have you have you ever had any conversation? Have you ever heard from Vince in, in all those years? You know, let's say you left 20 years ago, maybe even 21 years now. Any conversation or any talk about ever going back in those 20 years? No, bro. You know, I never, I never called back there once. I have oh, wow. never made a call once. That's kind of on your part. You had no in, no interest in it. You're just thinking, ah, I'm done with them. You know, you kind of ended sour, and I got a sour taste in my mouth, and that's it. You're done with them. It was more of a I got a sour taste in my mouth, and, and uh, you know, not something I want to rehash in. Unless, like I said, unless I knew then what I know now, I would have definitely went back. But it was, you know. Yeah, but that's also was on me. I just wasn't, you know, ready to get a saddle now. Gotcha. Now, you know, as far as just looking back at some of your matches, obviously so many great matches. Crowd was super into almost everything you did. I mean, your kind of style, your offense was all these awesome power moves, the Pearl River Plunge, all these different things. But then you had this athleticism where you could kind of fly around. It was 
you know, it was remarkable. It was amazing that you were able to do some of the things you were able to do given your size. I mean, huge guy, massive guy, all his strength. You kind of fly around like a cruiserweight is, uh, so to speak, yeah. sometimes. So have, do you have some favorite matches looking back at your career? My favorite, one of my favorite matches, man, like I said, was against Bader because he didn't mind, you know, he let me know right off the bat that he was going to come at me. And at first when he said I didn't understand, what do you mean he's going to come at me? And then he was talking about shooting. He wanted a shoot match. <laughs> you got the right one because I don't, I don't mind. I won't cry. I won't complain. I promise you that. Against another man, shoot match once he sees it. But that was one of my my, my fun matches, man. That was a shoot match, and it was fun. Just love your, your matches with Farouk uh, were great. You mentioned Goldust and Owen Hart were great. I mean, so many you know, kind of great opponents, especially in WBF at that point in time. It was so much fun. Was there kind of anybody? You didn't get to wrestle, you know, in WF that you wanted to. I know, obviously, the Shawn Michaels title match or maybe Steve Austin, but was there any other kind of guy that you maybe wanted to work because he was a great wrestler or there was something that, that you know, you kind of wanted to, you know, maybe showcase your skills a little bit more or something like that? You know what? I would have loved to have wrestled because he's a tough dude, too. It's like see it. Hmm. I think that would have been a good match. Absolutely. Me and Cyclosphere, I'll make Johnson versus Cyclosphere. I think that would have been one for the books. I would have loved to have seen it. He was a a pretty athletic dude, too, to be so big. Mm. I mean, he had the skills I had as far as athletic go, but he he had his his set of skills. Absolutely, and the crowd would have been super into it. You were super over, he was super over, the charisma and everything else. It would have been a, definitely a dream match for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with I, think was, I don't think there's nobody that's been there before me or after me to have the intensity that I had. But I think like the cycle said, he was close. And plus, close. And plus with you, like he even said with that promo, it's the, the believability. It's almost like, wow, this guy, you know, this guy may be kind of full of it, but you look at Ahmed Johnson, like, this guy, is, he's going to kill somebody. I mean, this guy, he, he really, you know, he's serious. This guy, you know, he's for real. Exactly. There was a sense of reality in there. You know, you knew it was bull, because, you know, it's around for him, but you would say, man, there's something about him that's not all yes. There's, there's an element of realism inside what he's talking about, what he's doing, you know. And that's what I love about it. Now, what was that that you were able to do? It's almost like, you know, some guys kind of it's almost seem like they're going through the motions out there. Some guys, maybe they, they don't have, you know, that if factor like you had that charisma, but it seemed like you were able to tap into something because you definitely have the believability and the realism. But, you know, what was it that you were kind of able to, to tap into it and really get the crowd behind you? The way I grew up, you know, being abused as a kid from my father, you know, abuse and all that, you kind of tap into it, but you had to control it. You had, you had to have a sense of control. I mean, I was abused real bad as 
know, he wanted me to be, you know, all this to be tough, and he went about in a very stringy way of doing it to teach us how to be tough. You know, the way that I was taught it was to your son that he's supposed to love, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you know, kind of looking back at, at the, your wrestling career, when somebody says, you know, Ahmed Johnson, or when they say Ahmed Johnson's legacy, and, and, you know, I know we're saying, you know, it's kind of the believability factor, but what would you say, you know, looking back at, at the career of Ahmed Johnson in the wrestling business? One thing I would say for sure is most intense off the chain performer I ever watched. I would have to say that most intense off the chain performer I ever watched. Believable. From believability back to the game because it was lacking. And he brought it right back to the game where you couldn't tell whether he was full of shit or not. That's that's how I would sum it up. All right, awesome stuff. Now, Ahmed, please, do you have any you know plugs out there? Any social media and anything where the fans can kind of reach out and get in touch with you, or maybe uh, bookings and things like that? Is there any plugs that you have out there for the fans? Um, not really. It's up on Facebook. It's under I got my uh, Facebook site set up. I don't know if you're in Ahmed Johnson or Beast Mode. I think it's in the Beast Mode. It would have, would have been a good name for me. <laughs> beast Mode. Would have fit perfectly. But, yeah, um, you can always contact me through Facebook. And there's some jerk on, on Twitter saying he's Ahmed Johnson. I don't even have a Twitter account, so let's get that out there, too. I don't have a Twitter account. And there's some asshole out there saying he's on the Johnson and saying bad and rude things and things I wouldn't say. Coward, whoever he is. But a such fan that was not me. I don't have a Twitter account. And if I'm on Twitter and you see that Ahmed Johnson, the asshole knows that you know it's not him because he doesn't have a Twitter account. I have a Facebook account, and that's it. All righty then. Yep, thank you very much. I appreciate all the time you gave me tonight. You have a great nope. night. No problem. You too, brother. This podcast was a presentation of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcast empire. 